Hi everyone, it's Janice from the Divorcing Religion Podcast. Did you know that it costs me money to produce each episode of this podcast? I'd really appreciate your help to keep my show on the air and helping other people. Please join me over on Patreon, where you can also find commercial-free episodes, and the links are in the show notes. Thanks so much. Hi everyone, welcome to the Divorcing Religion Podcast. I'm your host, Janice Selby. I'm a registered professional counselor and a religious recovery consultant. My guest today is Dorian Ortega. Dorian is a licensed clinical professional counselor and founder of FLY Radical Therapy, LLC. First Love Yourself, FLY Radical Therapy, is a therapeutic approach centering BIPOC and LGBTQIA+, and loving yourself through collective social liberation awareness, healing for yourself and with each other, and helping others to get there. FLY Radical Therapy is inspired by liberation, womanist, and multicultural psychology. Glancing at the flyradicaltherapy.com website, I was captivated to see how Dorian and her colleagues are working to dismantle patriarchy and foster healing by teaching about agreements and boundaries and building awareness around systemic oppression. Welcome, Dorian. Thank you. It's so nice to see you. And uh, I'm in Canada. You're in the United States. Our backgrounds are, you know, pretty different from one another. When I came across your website, I just felt so compelled to reach out because I love the way that you're doing therapy and the, the issues that you are working with people on. So I'm really glad you had time to join me this morning. Thank you so much for having me. And your background um, uh, is Puerto Rican, or that's part of your heritage. Um, I've never been to uh, Puerto Rico. And and so what's it like then? That's part of your heritage, but you actually uh, live in one of the United States, one of the other places there. What's that been like? Yeah. So uh, I was born in Chicago. My family uh, migrated from Puerto Rico in the 60s during the like great waves of migration uh, from folks from the island um, to Chicago looking for work and um, dealing with the impact of colonization of Puerto Rico. Um, one of the many ways that um, colonization has impacted um, individuals has been limiting the resources that they have access to on the island and so that might include um, limiting and controlling uh, land and how folks can use the land and what they can grow, what they can't grow, who serves in the army, what ways that uh, folks can participate in um, the colonization or support it and how that power just kind of has affected opportunities for folks on the island and, um, for many years, including until today. Um and there are many resources to show that there has been um, this intentional erasure of people. Um, and so if folks want to learn more about that, please look into The War Against Puerto Ricans. It is a book that is, I think, really helpful to understand the impact of colonization right here in an island that's really close to the United States. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And so growing up Puerto Rican in Chicago meant that there was uh, a diaspora of people that 
um, have, you know, grown together and kind of found each other, right. And to build community together. Mm-hmm. And that looked like, um, finding celebrations, finding community, finding the food and the culture mm-hmm. and the traditions and family that meant, uh, what ways can we embrace our identity as well as find ways to, um, adjust to mm-hmm. our surroundings mm-hmm. and how we support each other and deal with um, the way that systemic or oppression affects people here in the United States as people mm-hmm. of color. And um, and so Puerto Ricans and the Puerto Rican diaspora are very, have very much uh, complex experiences with identity. Um, mm-hmm. Racism is not very uh much a named uh, ideology in latin america it's um something that is very nuanced to the united states and very black and white mm-hmm. and in latin america and many other parts of the world colorism and classism are much more um obvious issues that folks deal with and so those nuances have been like the complexities that have really have continued to really like perplex me and interest me and um, charge me in many ways to understand how that affects how our psyche and how we think and how we feel about ourselves and the things that we do and participate in and who we interact with and what Mm -hmm. we believe in. Yes. And you're, thank you for that. That is such a great uh, introduction. Um, and so your family uh, moved to Chicago. And then, so you grew up, uh, I mean, Chicago is the only place, or it's the main place that you've known in your mm-hmm. life when you've been growing up. Yes. And so did your family kind of make connections right away with other people who had moved there uh, from Puerto Rico? Did they already know people? Um, the way that, right, like the waves, um uh, and how many, many uh, uh, people who immigrate um, outside of a country, right, like find their people. And so um, I think on both sides of my family, there were already people living here in Chicago who they were able to connect with and build right. families yeah. from, um, from there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and I mentioned to you that mm. um, one reason I was uh, so interested and grateful that you agreed to come on the show is because I grew up in an evangelical bubble that was also very white and very patriarchal. And so even though um, I left religion some 14 years ago, Mm -hmm. I still am just finding out that I have so many blind spots when it comes to my own, uh, you know, I hate even to use the word, but yes, racist ways of, of thinking that I'm not even uh, aware of. And same with also uh, patriarchy. And my daughters sometimes have to remind me and say, no, mom, that's not right. You don't have to do that or you don't have to think uh, that way. But I and even though I've been out of it for over a decade, uh, still the water that I'm swimming in is a patriarchal society. I'm in Canada. So you know, pretty much like the uh, United States and uh, much of the West 
Western world. Um, so yes, that's why I was really grateful to have you on. And I wonder, since the show, uh, name of the show is Divorcing Religion, um, has religion played any role in your life? Were you raised with any kind of religious beliefs? Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, first, uh, born and raised in the church as well. So part of, uh, my maternal side, well, both sides of the family, um, um, paternal side, uh, was more connected to Catholicism mm -hmm. and, uh, my mother's side, um, was Protestant and part of the United Church of Christ, um, umbrella, um, church organization. Um, and so our church, the church I grew up in, um, was one of the first Spanish speaking churches of the organization. Um, there's two in Chicago and the idea of United Church of Christ, uh, is to center, um, uh, justice or social justice. And so the church that I grew up in was Protestant. <clears throat> um, and, uh, part of my experience was going since I was born, right? Like you get, mm -hmm. you go every Sunday, uh, and the church becomes your family. The church is the family, the many family members made up the church. Um, and, uh, my experience was very much a weekly experience. So I was there every Sunday, like clockwork and, mm -hmm. um, participating in children ministry and, uh, reading the texts, uh, even being called to preach, um, singing the songs, um, holidays, right. Easter mm -hmm. was the jam with, you know, having, um, the the organized ways to gather children and families. Um, and then my experience was also interesting in that, because I didn't find this out later until I was an adult and I learned about radicalizing, um, or I was radicalized, I think, in, in college. Um, and so growing up in the church, I grew up in a church with pastors who were very passionate about the Puerto Rican independent move, independence movement. And at the mm -hmm. time um, of uh, the Puerto Rican independence uh, movement, which has historically been a part of Puerto Rico's history, um, Chicago, in Chicago, um, we have uh, our, our history in uh political organizers who we refer to as freedom fighters who challenged the government on how they're um, participating in violence against Puerto Rico with the current state of colonization. And so um, that included several different acts to call attention towards Puerto Rico's current state. And that resulted in many people uh, being arrested for their um, political beliefs and activism and what we refer to as political prisoners mm -hmm. um, who were charged with uh, seditious conspiracy and um, things of that nature and, and we experienced very long um, uh, prison terms um, oh, yeah. and 
President Obama just recently released the last one of the last Puerto Rican political prisoners before his term ended, mm-hmm. which is for Oscar Lopez Rivera. And so um, this group of people um, uh, referred to as FALN um, um, were a group of, of folks fighting for liberation, and some of them were members of the church. In fact, one was the, 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 pa- the pastor's wife um, and the wife's, uh, uh, her son, and many close friends who I found out later as, again, as an adult, because I grew up with folks, and I, me and many other members of the church were not aware that folks were organizing in the church. Um, and so there is a very strong uh, connection to this particular church being a, a radically, like, open, politically um, supportive church um, uh, towards the movement of Puerto Rico and social justice. And so that's, like, my exposure and involvement to that extent outside of, like, how the religion itself has been set up and just understanding the patriarchy around that. Um that also is included in my experience in my upbringing in that church is that I witnessed people um, be released from from prison for for the things that they believed in, um, and I saw the fear of how the government um, of what the government did to certain spaces that did support the independence of Puerto Rico and. Um, how that scared many people um, out of the church. So mm-hmm. that's been like the very nuanced experience that I have had in the church um, that that I specifically grew up in right. and how that church uh, and the church organization had advocated for the release as well of, of Oscar Lopez Rivera and other political prisoners. So, so <clears throat> it sounds like the... Um, your church experience, your religion, religious experience was, uh, you know, quite powerful, very social justice uh, oriented. And that is not the case for so many um, churches, but there there are Christian churches today still that are, uh, you know, when we talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus, that that's really how they position themselves. They do want to try and make a difference in the world. Um, so you grew up uh, being introduced to belief in Jesus or Christianity from a young age. Um, and then you mentioned something about being radicalized or coming to understand radicalization in college. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So part of my background is in, um, I majored in psychology um, and I minored in Latin American and Latino studies. And so um, I took a class on Puerto Rican studies, one of the only that probably, you know, um, exists uh, maybe in in New York and maybe Chicago might be the only other one. Um, but I took a history of Puerto Rico studies course and the course included the history of the independent, uh, movement fighters. Um, and I found out how I was connected to that. Cause I, again, I grew up in a church that didn't talk about that very openly. There was a lot of fear instilled. Um, an example is that, you know, undercover federal officers did, um, uh, intimidate church members 
And so um, I didn't find this out until later in life when I was an adult and uh, understood that made some connections and understood why people didn't talk about it and why people weren't filling the church pews like they used to. Um, And so it made me understand and appreciate that, um, uh, I guess how powerful (laughs) the systems are. Right. And even, even as powerful as, you know, the, the religion itself, right. Religion holds a lot of power. Um, and so there's like some ways that this government protects religion in different ways. And Mm -hmm. then depending on who the people are, there's many ways that it, doesn't protect them, even if there is religion involved. And so I think being people of color, being Puerto Rican specifically, um, has been the experiences of, of people of color within the churches is that, um, I mean, I, I don't know what it is like to grow up in a white dominant church, but I certainly know it's like to grow up in a Puerto Rican dominant church that had this extra layer of social justice and the treatment that they received, I don't think would have happened if they were a white dominated church. Right. Right. Yeah. I I think you're probably very right there. Uh, and so um, what was your experience or maybe I even misunderstood. Did you feel at some point that you became um, radicalized? Was it to do with uh, Puerto Rican causes or was I think it to the do with causes? Yeah. I was radicalized okay. to understand the, 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 how how systemic oppression works in different ways for people of color and um how the society or how the government and how society has shifted and changed for certain groups and not for other groups and just the evolution of oppression in this country and um what does it look like for these people and these people and so Part of that meant to continue to nurture relationships of my history and culture and people who are aligned with social justice causes and freedom causes. And so that has meant a lifestyle of such a relationship building and connections and um, and continuing to share what that looks like in the practice on inviting people to the movement work um, in different ways um, by, you know, welcoming history. History was really what woke me up. I Mm -hmm. mean, right. Mm -hmm. Like learning about history can really charge you in different ways. Um, And so I think that part of the practice, it is important for folks to be invited to understand the history. I think knowledge is very powerful. And I think um, for for especially for people of color has certainly been erased. And so how uh, folks are relearning and understanding or unlearning many things that maybe they have been told um, is a part of the journey or the therapeutic healing journey towards liberation is we have to know what, what happened, right? Mm-hmm. And like many African sayings of Sankofa talk about, we have to kind of go backwards in order to know where we're going. Um, that, that really is what ignites me, um, and what kind of sparked my reconnection with my church, um, to understand like, what are, 
you know, how come we're not talking about these things? And so that ultimately, ultimately, um, cause I, I have since like been involved in the church for about maybe a few years now. Um, but this kind of, uh, this culture shift really changed the way that the church has, has, uh, felt power enough to maybe just do what they can. And, and, and that's about it. The fear has really, uh, the fear of what could happen to you has, has really froze people to not really, mm-hmm. um, involve themselves in certain causes. And that, that, wow. that, that kind of discourages me to attend a church that, uh, has kind of had it and, and, you know, not, not to say that it's, it's their fault. I, I do put accountability on, on the fear of the, of the government and what they instilled in the church mm-hmm. and the community. Um, but, but that meant for me connecting more with people who are, who are, who are maybe outside of the church doing that work. Right. <clears throat> How would you reconcile, um, so my experience of Christianity was um, utterly patriarchal. And that's one of the things that, you know, I'm still trying to shake off and wrap my head around. Um, it, was that anything that was present for you or did you have any kind of awareness of that when either while you were growing up or uh, when you kind of reconnected um, in your college years? Yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, even in movement work, you see patriarchy, right? Like in social justice work, you might see like many men at the forefront are leaders, right? Historically, uh, uh, in movements, there is this like comfort with male leadership. Um, but patriarchy isn't about like male leadership. It's about like violence, right? It's about power and dominance and control. Um, so it's not just the male leadership part that's just like the small piece it's about what that male is doing right like how that male is achieve or trying to achieve power control and dominance um and that's what i think patriarchy is right um patriarchy has shown up um i mean in the way that it's assumed that the male has the leadership role. So the male is the pastor and everybody looks at the pastor, right? We're all in the Mm -hmm. audience and the Mm -hmm. pastor is in the, right. In a space up front, right. Like (laughs) saying the word and, Mm -hmm. and that person doesn't get challenged. um, Or, I mean, in my case, again, like I have a very different experience than maybe other people of this person, the pastor that, that, uh, you know, uh, pastored this church or that continues to even, you know, uh, to this day, you know, was, it does include education and, and other historical backgrounds. So again, this, this notion of like cultural and cultural history, historical context was always included in this setting. But, um, what is very notable is that there's the, the male, right? Like person that's leading, um, the message, and what's very clear is that many of the women are like leading like the children ministry, mm-hmm. for example, um, or leading the cooking 
um, or serving. Um, and so these like roles that are not like assigned are very much assumed. Um, and the church majority is female. Mm-hmm. Majority of the members are female. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the, you know, it's notable of like the busy bees, like always kind of keeping it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see those kind of, right. Like stereotypical roles of like the, the cooking, the cleaning, the serving the children, mm-hmm. nurturing mm-hmm. the children, um, you know, are you going to get married? You know, are kind of the questions you're going to be asked if you're a female member versus a male member. Um, things like that were, were also very like, obvious. Um, mm-hmm. And the, and the default of the pastor, like the, like the know all, right. Like that's the person that we have to ask and, um, but not that, but, but won't, you know, isn't responsible for like, I don't know, like following up or something like that. I guess it's, it's very interesting. It's very interesting dynamic of like teacher, you know, like of how even the school system, right. Is like Mm -hmm. the teacher is at the front and we're all of the audience and we're all kind of looking this way and Mm -hmm. we're not looking at each other. Right. It's different than if it was in a circle. None of us are looking at each other. Um, And so, you know, I think one of the biggest turnoffs for me in church was about that. Like, we're not really looking at each other. We're all looking at this one guy. So we don't get to have responsibility for our actions. We just get to hear what he's got to say. And maybe we'll like, you know, be nice here at church, but outside of here, you know, I didn't really, if you didn't connect to the words, you don't really hold the responsibility. So you can just Mm -hmm. keep doing your thing outside of church and go and you're there, you know, it's, it's okay. Right. Like Mm -hmm. everything doesn't matter anymore. Like Catholicism, right. Like you do your Holy Marys or whatever, like the Mm -hmm. rosaries, not to disrespect people who who use that as a Mm -hmm. practice. Um, but very much like, uh, like an erasure, of your rest of the week until you get to church on Sunday mm-hmm. or until you do your confession. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not like, I don't know. I just, there's just this missing connection for me of what happens, you know, when you're outside of this building and right. leaning into, you know, the churches, the streets for me, um, I see church all around me. I am the church. I am the temple. And how mm-hmm. do I recognize how important that is to take care of myself? That sometimes means I want to sleep in on Sundays. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go to church. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I, I know I'm tired and I, yes. I want to take care of myself. But that was, that came with guilt. Yes. That came oh. with guilt and calls. Like, where are you? Are you running yeah. late? Are you on your way? <sighs> yes. Um, and the unlearning of that pit of my stomach feeling uh, on a Sunday, now that I'm not attending mm-hmm. how I used to was, was really a grief for me. Yeah. A, gr- a grieving process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, one thing you and I were chatting about just before we got on here today was um, Dr. Naomi Norton was my guest a few weeks ago and she shared um, her white evangelical wheel of power and control, which is an adaptation of a domestic violence wheel of power and control, basically. Uh, and I just 
thought that was so interesting and just right on point because we're often not aware of the subtle ways that we are being manipulated and led in certain directions. And so when you say patriarchy is about violence and is about, um, you know, what what men do to stay in control, I just, I think that is right on. And that's something that it's hard even to look at. It's so frustrating to look at uh, because we don't like to admit it. And because sometimes we can feel powerless to make change. How can we even start to make change? And and you and your colleagues at Fly Radical um, Therapy, you are running different programs to uh, what to educate, to expose uh, clients to. Um, here's what patriarchy looks like. Here's what systemic uh, oppression looks like. What's some of the work that you're doing in those places? Yeah, thank you. Um, so if Fly Radical Therapy has really been about what it means to love yourself in a way that understands or includes how systemic oppression has taught you to hate yourself. And so as a person of color, as a, as a person who identifies as a woman or, or at times gender non-binary, um, part of the loving yourself first piece meant that I had to reconcile with <clears throat> who is telling me I can't, I, I'm not lovable. Like, how have I picked up on those messages? And that meant that I had to start creating boundaries with people. And that meant I had to start to lean into what I love about me. And that meant I had to challenge certain belief systems that existed and patterns that have existed. Um, and so in the work that we do with fly radical therapy is we are all trained therapists. Uh, most of us, we do have an herbalist that that started is um, not a trained therapist, an herbalist. Um, and so in the practice, uh, nonetheless, we, we are aligned with understanding how loving yourself is an act of liberation as a person of color. Um, as, as someone who is aligned with our work, like a person who is white identified and aligned with uplifting folks who are oppressed, um, and aligning and integrating uh, their awareness, um, is is how we can move towards uh, healing and social liberation. Um, part of that looks different for everyone. It might look different, but as a whole, we encourage everyone that is a client of ours to share the information that they receive from our therapy, um, to invite and create and learn how to cultivate their own communities, which is very key. So we do the work here one-on-one. -on -one. We create a container, support space, brave space for folks to find their ways through understanding how they've been affected by systemic oppression and patterns and ways that they are dealing with and ways that they are empowered to work through um, the goals that they have for themselves and also how they're continuing to cultivate that with others is really key. We don't believe that healing happens alone. 
Um, it has to happen in collective, um, but it also has to happen on your own. It has mm-hmm. to be a, a responsible, you have to be radically responsible with your own self-care. Um, and if you're having trouble with that, then you need other people to help you. Mm-hmm. And other people, ideally with their consent, are able to help you in the ways that they are capable of helping you. And so it means that not one person can save you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it means we all save each other and we all look out for each other because we all have different capacities and strengths and privileges and accesses um, right. and needs. And so, you know, I ultimately is about this way that we integrate each with each other um, to really be able to continue to spread that message of like empowering ourselves to change these systems Mm -hmm. um, and to really hold these systems accountable in different ways, either, either within your own family with yourself or within your workplace or maybe like within law changing Mm -hmm. or within just creating something completely new that has nothing to do with the system that we already operate in. It's just like make, make a whole new space and radically dream of what that might look like. You know, maybe it is dialogue, like what we're doing, we're having space and dialogue together. And, and this is one of the ways that we are dismantling um, oppression is by acknowledging that it exists. Right. Like all of us who live in the United States, I know you live in Canada, but like, if you live in the United States, you're inherently racist. It's just, let's just be honest with that. Mm -hmm. I I was born into a racist society. I am racist. Mm -hmm. I was, I was taught to be anti-black and anti-indigenous and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anti-gay. I was taught that I was taught to specifically don't interact with these folks or this is how they are or whatever the case may be. And these are, these are things we have to acknowledge exists because like, like ghosts, they're not going to go away if you (laughs) pretend it's not there. Right. You have to acknowledge its existence so that it can have less power over you in your life. Um, Mm-hmm. And you're saying, you know, you're actively, and we actively have to do this all the time. Right. This is right. something that, that we have to do kind of all the time. And, and I use the term womanism because this comes from the black liberation movement. This come, you know, the black liberation yes. movement has really taught um, our society how to love yourself um, and everyone. But we have to acknowledge that, this society has been built for some and not others. Yes. So even though we want the freedom for everyone, we have to also acknowledge that it, that there have been some hierarchies here mm-hmm. and we have to be aware of those things. So even like being a Latinx person, there's powers and privileges that I have access to that maybe someone who is darker skin than me might not have or someone who is lower class or someone who is disabled Mm -hmm. might not have. And so I think like, as we continue to grow and learn um, these nuances that like religion has tried to simplify, like Mm -hmm. by just praying it out or um, just reading the Bible or just reading the word, like it's a tool that could be helpful for some people, but it can't be, 
and should not be because it's, it's dangerous and irresponsible for us to just lean on this one thing to heal us. I, well, it's, and it's, it can also be divisive. It can be very othering if we're talking in terms of us and them. You either believe uh, or you don't believe. And and depending which side you're on, one of those can have greater or lesser value. And we run into so much trouble there. And it's been a great tool for oppression. Mm-hmm. It's been a great tool for oppression of people in all the isms. A great tool to oppress people who are darker skinned, people who are black identified, people who are indigenous and believe in the earth and the land, Mm -hmm. people who have had other or come with other cultural beliefs from their ancestors, like gods and deities. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been a great tool to welcome the erasure of people and to kill to kill and end people's entire societies and cultures Mm -hmm. um and so it it can be very dangerous it has been dangerous it continues to be dangerous um uh and i think that because it's there's such a stronghold um in our globe of christianity uh right like our globe the globally christianity and um, has had this like worldly power. I think like it's our responsibility to acknowledge how we have benefited from it, right? Because I think people, people as a Christian, that's a privilege because it's a majority of what people identify as in the world. Mm-hmm. And there have been privileges that people have had, like prayer or like open prayer, like things that are just been easily accessible for mm-hmm. people who identify mm-hmm. as Christian or, um, that have had access to, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's things in, in Christianity that you're familiar with. Even if you don't go to church anymore, you're familiar right. with prayer, right? You know about the Bible, you know mm-hmm. about the stories. Mm-hmm. So you have access, right? There's like an in to some of those stories that you're familiar with. Um, We all have the day off for certain holidays. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's privileges that come with that. So I think, you know, when we're thinking about healing and liberation, we have to recognize what privileges are we also willing to give up. Mm. And that's, as somebody who is white identified, that's very much the responsibility of folks who have that privilege. Yes. Yeah. And I was very fortunate recently to attend at Syracuse University um, a conference on the religious origins of white supremacy and really looking at the doctrine of the papal doctrine of uh, discovery and how that just the the toxicity uh, of that uh, all around the world. Um, But I'm so glad that uh white people are starting to acknowledge this and see this and call it out for for what it is um i'm wondering in uh, so at the fly radical therapy group are all of your um therapists or counselors are they all uh black indigenous people of color and is that do you have any uh, Caucasian clients, or is it specifically you're reaching out to uh, the BIPOC community? We center Black, Indigenous, people of color, meaning that it's it's centering 
like they're at the forefront. They will they'll always be the majority of the people that we serve. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it's not limited to, we do have people who are Y identified okay. as clients as well. Right. And who have and- act- actively sought out the practice because of our, um, their aligned beliefs and values. Yes. Yes. And so then part of the work that you're doing is educating about, um, systemic oppression in in various forms as well as um, white, white privilege right because i think yes. white white privilege doesn't just apply to folks who identify as white there are uh again colorism ideologies that like parallel white privilege um and then there's you know classism that's that's real as well um and so, you know, part of the responsibility for us as clinicians is to welcome and invite space to challenge people on their privileges as well. So folks who identify as white, what that might look like for them, and also recognizing where our limitations are to work with folks who identify as white as well. And so we have actively encouraged folks to participate in ally groups, meaning like folks who identify within their own, um, with their folks who they can gather with that identify with their identity. So folks who in our, in in Chicago, we have a group called our program or organization called truth, T R H T truth, racial healing. I can't remember what the last T stands for, but uh, essentially it's a group that is centered around allied groups that can meet within their spaces to have and unpack conversations on race. Um, and so some folks that are in our practice are encouraged to attend something like that, um, or meet with other folks who are white identifying and have these conversations because we have limits. I'm, I'm not, you know, able to fully comprehend what that means and this is also um a limitation for both of us right um and so i think that therapy can be a helpful entry point for some folks to understand um the development of their own identity um the development of maybe what stage they might be in in their racial identity um and how they can continue to develop and nurture that and what might be some obstacles that might get in the way. Wow. Um, maybe so powerful. It's it's powerful. It's hard work. It's not easy, right? It's this is brave work, I think, because mm-hmm. it's not easy to acknowledge that um you have participated in some way um to, towards oppression by maybe even being complicit. Some people, Mm -hmm. some people may not have actively been a racist person, like overtly, right? But have maybe been complicit when, like, family members were, right? Or Mm -hmm. maybe, Mm -hmm. um, in other ways, right? There's microaggressions that exist. You know, some people that I have known that identify as white. have, you know, maybe been also community members and very much social justice, like oriented, are still dealing with their own nuanced ways that 
are inherently racist. So there might be subtle acts of like, oh, I clenching the purse when like a person of color walks by. That's that's like in our behavior, that's Mm -hmm. in our psyche Mm -hmm. to be anti this person. So those are ways that like, again, it has to happen like all the time. And it's, it's not easy to actively always think about this. It's so challenging. Oh yeah. As people of color, it's what we all deal with all the time. And and so then (laughs) as a Canadian, when I see what's going on in the different States, like in Florida and, you know, white people are up in arms about the critical race theory and though we can't possibly actually teach the truth uh, of what happened, you know, that the country was built on slavery. Um, that is so, I mean, it's like you're making progress, making progress, and then there's this huge wall uh, that just, see, I mean, I'm frustrated by that. And, and you know, my what I have in the game, it seems like a far, far less than people who actually uh, are uh, Black, Indigenous, or people of color who have to deal with this every day. It's just got to be intensely frustrating at times. It's frustrating. It's all, all the feelings, right? That's why we have to, you know, that's why this, the practice is centering people of color and making sure that people who do, who are maybe white identifying are, um, taking responsibility and active responsibility in how they're uplifting other marginalized communities, um, in their healing work. Cause that is healing, right? Like where if, if somebody is oppressed, um, and you're not affected by it, you, that's a problem. Or you think that you're not affected by it, that's a problem. Because that means that you're okay with other people not being free. Mm-hmm. Because you've benefited from it and you not, haven't felt it yourself. Wow. Um, that's a problem across a lot of issues that we have, I think, in society. Wow, that really breaks it down. Even you just saying it like that. If you're not troubled by somebody being oppressed then that's, that is a problem. That's so powerful. Can you tell me, um, what role do you see art playing? So I'm, I'm thinking art, like drawing and painting, but also poetry, writing, these sorts of things. Um, how, what, what role do you see that having, uh, in helping educate people and helping liberate people? Yeah, I think, Art has a beautiful way of uh, welcoming and inviting interpretation um, without like it being so direct or maybe Mm -hmm. it is so direct that you have to feel it. Art is about, I think, feeling. Um, And I think it goes so well with therapy because therapy is about feeling. Um, it's not about intellectualizing your feelings, even though we do that. Um, but it's about feeling like, let it sit and simmer with you. Like, let it touch you, let it hurt you, let it like soothe you. Um, it's about like what feelings are coming up for you. And I think that is such a powerful and important part of therapy or therapeutic healing is to, feel the feeling or express that feeling. Um, it's so important to have space to, uh, 
um, let it out in some way um, and visualize it, depict it, um, articulate it. Um, and so art in its many forms, right? Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm more into uh, writing and, and poetry is something that comes very natural for me. Um, but I'm also, and also uh, performance or acting or, or theater, um, song, um, um, color. Uh, these are all ways that I think historically people lean into for healing. Um, all of us lean into art or creativity for entertainment or to feel something. Mm-hmm. Um, or to feel something different, <laughs> maybe, mm-hmm. right? And um, so I think that the role of art in therapy is it has to be intersected some way. And so in our practice, we invite those those ways. We invite people to think creatively and how they're able to nurture their creativity, nurture, play even, because that's how we tap into joy. Um, mm-hmm. That's how we understand joy. Or maybe that's how we can really see our pain because we feel it, or maybe we don't know it's there and we're just used to it. But when we put it on paper, it's like, oh, I didn't know it looked like this. Um, so I think it could be a really helpful way to maybe even... Um, I don't want to say measure our feelings, but just allow ourselves to, to, to feel. I think uh, one of the biggest challenges that I have and work with, and I'm sure you experience is that with uh, clients who are terrified of feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll yeah. talk it, talk it away and excuse it away or distract it away and but to sit with it to sit with the guilt it's Mm -hmm. very detrimental for some people and and anger is another big one that people are very uncomfortable uh with but in some ways i think they may even be more uncomfortable with uh, sorrow and and guilt, but anger is more accessible, or it's more uh, oh, it's power. acceptable. It's power. Yeah, power. There's power. power in anger, but there's that doesn't power. doesn't feel like there's power in grief uh, and sorrow. Oh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, definitely. I think that people in our society, again, like this is what patriarchy and what we're all kind of dealing with is that violence has been how an acceptable way to express anger and injustice yeah. mm-hmm. um, for some people, but not others. So it's really interesting how we're all in a witnessing a genocide, right. um, very global media, you know, recorded genocide and how acceptable this Mm -hmm. religious based Mm -hmm. um patriarchal filled genocide is being enacted before our Mm -hmm. all of our eyes Mm -hmm. in such a matter of fact way 
But if certain people enact violence in that way, what happens to them? If certain people enact, and we see this in the United States, like white males would maybe have a gun and and not be shot down or maybe chased and arrested and perhaps put behind, you know, cuffs and behind a car. But if this is a black identified person, they're shot down. Oh yeah. Um, So it's so confusing who gets to participate in patriarchy. Wow. Yeah. Um, Who, who, who gets to not participate? Um, And again, how do people benefit? And so it's power, power and control. uh, I think again, like reminding that patriarchy is about dominating, Mm -hmm. oppressing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, um, And, and what I think is the antithesis is womanism. Um. And equality or equity, and not just equality, it has to be equity. Equity Mm -hmm. is recognizing that this has been an unleveled playing field and that we have to recognize the nuances between all of us. Um, And we have to kind of elevate as we see fit and responsible. Um, So I do believe more in equity and and how we're we're honoring um, the nuances. And we have to recognize the the nuances because it's not very clear cut and black and white mm-hmm. uh, like we think it is. Right. Um, it's easier to think in that way and compartmentalize, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Black and white thinking. But as therapists, we have to be responsible that our brain has more capacity mm-hmm. and can wow. stretch. And let's let's use these tools to stretch the brain so we can invite some different ways of thinking and doing. Oh, I love it. And I I think I'm going to end us on that note. This has been such an educational and really eye-opening, very interesting conversation. Uh, Dorian, how can people find you or find Fly Radical Therapy? FlyRadicalTherapy.com is the website. Um, We're also on Instagram at FlyRadicalTherapy. and people can read more about what we're doing on the page and uh, read more about the work. Um, we have therapists um, who are not just therapists. Uh, most of the therapists that work who uh, with the practice, most of us are also do speaking engagements. We also do workshops. Um, this is uh, our third year running a youth uh, program called the Heal on Academy, which stands yeah. for Honey Education and Love. And we have raised funds to pay them to learn about healing and wellness um, in a four-week program where they're exposed to a professional licensed therapist as well as a healer of a variety of types of healing and um, they are paid to participate. And so we intentionally um, seek out folks who are BIPOC uh, LGBTQ youth between this year, we lowered the age to 13 to 17. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And this year was our biggest cohort where we combined a group um, who were mostly Latinx as well as Black identified um, and lived across cities. So one group lived in one part of the city. The other group was in another part of the city. And we did this hybrid um, workshop series. And so So we're really looking forward to the future of how we are investing in these young people um, who have really been going through it. The pandemic was really hard mm-hmm. uh, on these resilient young people, but uh, also how we're providing space for adults who are also going through a really hard time who are responsible for the young people. So yes. we're looking to continue to grow our, our work um, and our networks with different folks um, mm-hmm. to continue to, to find ourselves through liberation Um of, of this oppressed, you know, this, this wild shit. Yeah, it really, it really is. And I it's saw on your website, people can support by buying t-shirts for the heel, the heel. Yes, Academy. The heel yeah. Academy has a t-shirt sale. We also have, um, herbal tinctures mm-hmm. for sale as well. Mm-hmm. We will have some sweatshirts up on the shop soon. And so people can support by uh, shopping in our little store. Um, uh, the tinctures are nerve tonic tinctures created mm-hmm. by our herbalists to help with anxiety um, and depression through this dark time. Yeah. Wow. Well, Dorian, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank I hope our paths me. will cross again. I, I know that I've learned a lot today, and I'm sure I'll hear that from others who are watching as well. So thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to connecting as well. This has been really helpful um, and insightful um, path that you're on. So I'm glad that you you found me and uh, lately is... Uh, been certainly a topic of discussion for many of us in the practice, as well as the clientele that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thank you for the work that you're doing to really raise awareness for folks and naming religious trauma mm-hmm. um, as as uh, uh, your participation and contribution to liberation. So thank you. Oh, it's just my pleasure to do it. And I want to thank everyone for joining us today, for tuning in, and we'll see you again soon. Take care, everyone.